What's up, everybody? It's Free Association on Sportsnet.ca. I'm J.D. Bunkus. No Donovan Bennett this week because he's, you know, he's just a busy man with all kinds of important things. He is a journalist of the highest order. Guy's filling on Tim and Sid. I think he's doing university stuff. He's going and doing sit-downs with Joel Embiid. Just whatever. Just a casual Donovan Bennett week. I'm here slumming it by myself on Sportsnet 590 doing a week's worth of radio shows by myself. But it's time for Tasty Treat. Tasty Treat reward time. Because I got my buddy, <laughs> Vivek Jacob, in studio to talk about Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Raptors starting lineup questions, which are weird to be talking about in some ways, but it's going down. And maybe some questions we have about who should start. And I also want to ask you a little bit about Norm Powell today. If I forget, make me bring it up because I think we don't respect Norm Powell enough. But what's going on, buddy? Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, dude, this is awesome. We've been meaning to do this for a while. You're someone who, if people don't know, has been... Did you start here or were you somewhere else before you came to Sportsnet? So I started with the internship here, yeah. but I was also doing some work at Raptors Republic and then right. just trying to get my name out. But yeah, man, in terms of uh, feeling like I did something, yeah, it was definitely the internship here first. I say this a lot when it comes to how media is changing and the steps people take is that that blend of trying to stake out your own way while also exploring some of the old traditional ways and taking advice. You're a great example of that. Like, honestly, like going out on Raptors Republic, which I'm, which Raptors fan doesn't know about that site at this point, right? Right. Staking out, showing your writing in different places, making sure that you actually write and get your work out there. And then also coming to a place like this and interning and finding those balances between those two things. I think that's the best way to go is to find inefficiencies, try to fill those gaps. So if you are somebody who listens to this podcast, follow Vivek, Vivek. I, we, I went two tries without doing it. We had this whole long ass conversation before the podcast about all this different stuff. And I blew it two minutes in. But, Appreciate the effort. But Love it's V I V E K M Jacob on Twitter, follow his work. And yeah, man, I've been loving what you're doing lately. I've loved your work here and yeah, you've grown leaps and bounds and I'm, I'm thrilled to have you in here today talking about this stuff with me. So thanks for making the time. And for anybody who's out there and wants to do this kind of work, you can always DM me and you can always tweet people like Vivek and ask him kind of some advice because I, I just yeah, genuinely think that's absolutely. the way to go. Man, Twitter's just so easy with stuff like that. So I want to talk about Shay, but I'm going to save it because I think we're going to agree too much. Right. I think it's going to be basically <laughs> complimenting Shea Gildas-Alexander for 15 minutes. Yeah. So let's start with this. Raptors are getting healthy, which is something we, it feels like always close, always, oh, here we go. Raptors is going to be the full lineup, and then something goes down, somebody Fred gets, gets hurt. hurt. <laughs> Fred gets hurt. What key player has not been hurt this year? Everybody has been, right? Everyone's been hurt. Every single one of like the core seven players has been hurt this season. Kyle's been out. Norm's been out. I mean... I guess OG's the closest with just that That's game he missed for the eye. One eye miss. Yeah. One eye poke game miss by OG <laughs> where I actually... Kawhi. Marcus Gasol was the scariest one because he's big and the way that he was running... The way he just stopped. You yeah. just thought maybe that's it like for a really long time, maybe the whole season. But OG, weirdly enough, I can still... what The eye poke, you just never know, right? Mm -hmm. And you just think, man, what would it feel like to have Kawhi Leonard's hand you know knuckle deep in your eye socket probably not good that massive claw yeah and you start to worry like the second they said he wasn't coming back in that ball game i thought please don't let this be long lasting but no you're right he's the one guy who 
has not missed significant time. That's a core piece to this team. And if you're yelling at me about Terrence Davis and stuff like that, I love Terrence Davis, but he's not part of the core seven that we're talking about here. That's supposed to be the crunch time group of this Raptors team, but we're getting closer. Fred Van Vliet's supposed to be here. Maybe by the weekend, maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, you're already saying I saw Fred Van Vliet. It was all working out. And I think there are two things that come with this conversation. One is, do you even have a set starting lineup? Mm -hmm. Do you just go fluid? And if you do a set starting lineup or at least a consistent starting lineup, who starts at the center? Because that's who starts at the center and who starts at shooting guard? Because those are the only two things that feel like it's any somewhat of a conversation. So which one of those things do you want to start with? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the shooting guard position, I think that's the one that has become the most debated topic. Because you look at what Norman Powell has done, the big question with him has always been the consistency, right? He Mm -hmm. can put together five, six games, and then he disappears for five or six. But this is the longest stretch where he's come out every single night, and he just seems to have a consistent pattern of how he's going to score, how he's going to defend. So with that conversation up against what Fred Van Vliet has done this season, I think it comes down to matchups. We've seen Nick Nurse over the course of his time with Toronto go to whatever dictates in the situation. We saw JV and Serge share the starting center minutes. And then we saw that happen with Gasol before Gasol took over in the playoffs. But I think now with Fred and Norm, when you look at certain matchups and you have the size, especially say, for example, a team like Philly, Mm -hmm. or you look at the wings on Boston, it might be better to have someone like Fred coming off the bench and have Norm in that starting lineup. I think I'm on team fluid. Yeah. I think I am on team. Trust Nick Nurse. One thing about Nick and that I really like about him, and I should actually say Casey, I think, was really good at this at times too. And for a lot of his tenure was he really seems, and now I mean back to Nurse, to have a good pulse of who should be playing when. McCaw is like the one sticking point with yep. fans where they say, <laughs> what do you see in this guy? But I think with most coaches, people would be way more pissed about McCaw than with Nick Nurse because he's just he's built up this trust. And mm-hmm. obviously, like that comes with a championship, especially for a star fan base like this one. But point to me the moves that haven't really worked out with Nick Nurse and the handling of certain players, right? It's like yeah. the track record is pretty awesome. You go back to the last playoffs, yeah. right? When Fred Van Vliet was struggling and everyone was like, you can't play this guy. Play Jeremy Lin. See what he's got. Right? No one on this podcast did that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you look at Marcus Gasol after those first two games in Milwaukee. Everyone was saying Serge has got to be in there. Mm. And he stuck with Mark. And Mark helped turn around that series. The way he and Kawhi were able to defend Giannis in that pick and roll and keep Giannis out of it the rest of that series. Those are the type of decisions that you want to see from Nick Nurse. And when he's able to show that type of faith, it builds trust with the players too. And I think that's a big part of why they've had the success they've had together. So I trust Nurse to make those decisions on the night in, night out basis. What we know with the center position is that both guys seem at least agreeable to coming off the bench if need be. Both mm-hmm. guys are really great team players. Both guys are excellent teammates. And this is not a shot at the, the shooting guards, but we haven't seen it yet the same way. And Fred Van Vliet, he came on Good Show, the, the radio show I host for Sportsnet 590 with me during the summertime. And he made it very clear that he wants to start. Mm-hmm. And I don't fault him for that, right? He just said, all due respect to Jamal Crawford, all due respect to Lou Williams, that's not the career that I'm trying to carve out for myself. I want to be a starter. And the conversation gets a little complicated because Norm looks awesome. You said it. It was always those five-game patches of Norm. 
And I was a little worried after the second shoulder injury because, and I know this is a while back now. Now we have to go back two seasons, but two seasons ago, Norm Powell was supposed to be the X factor for the Raptors. And what happened? He got hurt. He felt like he was trying to do too much. Every game he came in, it just felt like an uncomfortable piece that they were trying to fit in with DeMar and with Kyle and what he was supposed to do offensively and whether he was this defensive stopper. And for the first time in his career, we've seen a long stretch of Norm Powell being what Norm Powell was supposed to always be which is a solid defensive player, which is a good defensive player, but not the guy that takes the onus of being defending much bigger guys, right? Now you have OG Ananobi. He can take that role. Mm -hmm. You want him to defend a smaller guard down the lineup? He's awesome at that. A shooter. Norm's basically put together a track record now of a full season, a season and a half of being around 40%. He's lights out. He's off the dribble. No one on this team, I don't think right now, attacks the basket with the same size, speed, handling combination of Norm Powell. He's giving you something that... This team probably doesn't have enough of, which is in the half court, who can get you a bucket when the clock comes down to like six seconds in a variety of different ways? He can do those things for you. But it it isn't in a vacuum, and we have to be able to appreciate that while Fred Van Vliet is a good teammate, and I'm sure Fred Van Vliet, this is not, he wouldn't do it, or that he would even be unhappy, but that for someone who's going into unrestricted free agency, who's dealt with injuries over the last couple of seasons, which have to be accounted for, especially when you're sub six feet tall, that he would like the opportunity to start. And I don't think that the workaround for maybe some of these issues is having both guys do it. Mm -hmm. The more difficult one is, can you have both guys close? Right. I don't see it. I know. And, well, you think about the automatics that are going to be on the court, right? You've got Kyle. Yep. You've got Siakam. Mm -hmm. And you've got, most likely, Mark. Mm-hmm. Those are the three that have to be out there. And then they tried pe- to not close with Mark the other night. And <laughs> it was like, where's Mark? <laughs> exactly. And so I think you look at the other positions. It's what is OG giving you? Because we've seen multiple games now where yeah. Nick has left OG on the bench because he hasn't really brought it. Things change now because he's not expected to be more of uh, more than a fourth or fifth option. Obviously, with the injuries, it was like, hey, we need more out of you. You're not giving it to us. This is what we're going to do. So I think... Between OG, between Fred, between Norm, you know, Terrence might have a hot night. Nick might be riding McCaw, you know. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the situations you get into, and that's where it's hard to see them both closing. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I wonder about Fred is, obviously, he had that mindset of wanting to be a starter. Mm -hmm. But at this point, has he sold the bag enough where it's not a thing he has to worry about? I kind of think yes. Yeah, right? Like you look at that starting stretch that he had uh, when Kyle was out and you see all the things that he's been able to do when when him and Siakam were basically dependent on for all the offense and they came through. They got, they got those big wins against the Lakers, against the Sixers, you know? Those are the things that I think teams in the summer will look at and say, hey, we've seen enough to know what he can do. It doesn't matter that you came off the bench later in the season because Norman Powell was playing so well. So I think it's a question of does he view it that way now where it's like, hey, this is a matchup thing where, you know, we just feel like Norm is the better guy and we could have you play make off the bench. It helps us stagger Kyle a little better too. And I think that's maybe a conversation that Nick has to have with Fred at some point. Uh, cause let's face it at the end of the day, when Fred's been healthy, he's been the starter. He's so, been awesome. Yeah. And if you have like, I like to have confidence rankings. Mm-hmm. I do. I started doing it with baseball where it was, you know, who do you feel best with the runner on second, two outs and you're in a big spot. Who are you most confident in? And now go down the line. Mm-hmm. Fred Van Vliet sneakily leads my confidence rankings more than 
any other player other than maybe Kyle Lowry on this team. Like it's between those two more than Siakam because that's the one thing we haven't really seen from Pascal consistently is like what he does at the end of games and his willingness to take shots and his willingness to step up in those big moments with those tough matchups. But Fred Van Vliet is someone where I think back to that Portland game earlier this season where they're playing the Trailblazers and Portland's closing the gap, closing the gap, closing the gap, and the game looks like it's about to be at hand. And Fred Van Vliet comes in the game and he gets a steal and he gets a bucket and it just completely turns the game around. He just, he he makes the right play so frequently. And Mm -hmm. I know that so much was made of this during the summertime, but when they went out to California and they're training together as a team, the word is, is that Fred Van Vliet's teams don't lose. Yeah. And I have that same confidence in him when it comes to closing ball games. You're right when you say he's probably done enough to secure the bag from a different team and from this group as well. Yeah. I swear this isn't the name drop podcast, but I asked Bobby Marks about this. Like, what are other GMs telling you about what Fred Van Vliet's next contract is going to look like? And he said, some teams think over $20 million. Mm-hmm. And that's a hefty, hefty price tag. Yeah. I think the Raptors pay it. Like, I don't see that as being a problem or an impediment, even going into 2021, because let's say you do get Giannis and, or he's willing to entertain a meeting with you and you need to free up cap space. It's not like if you even did need to trade Fred Van Vliet, that it would become something where you would say, no one is willing to take this contract off our hands. Like we can't get Fred Van Vliet to be taken by another team. So it's fine. You definitely resign him. I think the question though has to be asked whether or not he's going to want to be here. A guy who says bet on himself, a guy who probably does look at himself as a starting point guard in the league and as a feature player in the league. Look at the way he and Siakam played together. That Kyle Lowry's here, Norm Powell be coming back. There's no reason to think that at this point, Norm Powell's going to regress. That going into next season, if he's looking at it objectively and saying, all right, all things equal, money, opportunity, culture, winning. What happens if another team comes around that can offer the opportunity to win or he thinks they can win and they offer him a starting spot with that money? Like that's what's tricky about the starter conversation is that it might be overblown by media types and narrative types like me who aren't there, but I think it's at least something that's worth talking about. Definitely. And I think the one thing that he has to think about is when does he get to take over the reins from Kyle? Mm -hmm. How much longer does Kyle have? And when you look at that 2021 period, if he does resign, you know, is Kyle still around for that? Like, it's not a guarantee that he's gone. No. Everyone looks at this like this was the final contract, but didn't we do that with the last one? Right. Exactly, right? So I think from that, you you look at the rumors that have been around, whether it's Detroit uh, making a big push for him, and you look at that situation and say, hey, they haven't won in a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, am I really going to be the piece that automatically changes that? And do I really want to work with Dwayne Casey again? Uh, those are things that he has do to Do I want to live in Detroit? Yeah, do I want to live in Detroit? And let's face it, he loves Toronto. He said it multiple times. You look at all the financial opportunities he's created for himself while being here. I think that's probably a big avenue that he considers in, in terms of his future here because he probably won't get the same level of spotlight anywhere else. No chance. And so I think, you know, he's someone that's definitely a savvy entrepreneur and he will recognize that. And as long as the money is in the neighborhood uh, of what other teams are offering, I would anticipate that they're able to come to, um, you know, a solution in terms of keeping him here. I'm with you. And I know how a listener will react to this, which is that you're, you're making too big of a deal of it. No, man, when you do lay it out like that, it's pretty clear. It's something Donovan and I have talked about before, but one of the ancillary benefits of winning a championship is 
You know, Bill Simmons used to have, or still does have, the disease of more. Right. And how it was always, well, when you win a championship, it's tougher to keep the core together because guys want more opportunity. They want the ball more. They want to shoot. They want to start. The Raptors kind of have that already where guys are getting opportunities. They play in this offense where a lot of guys get their chances to touch the ball. Mm -hmm. They really do seem to sacrifice to the hot hand that night. There's definitely no... Like one of the reasons Terrence Davis has worked out so well, in my opinion, is that the team is so comfortable with letting other guys take shots that an undrafted rookie can come in, fail, and continue to get opportunities. Yeah. Like injuries aside, he was playing before everyone was hurt. He was taking these shots before everyone was hurt. That's what the Raptors offer you. And that when it comes to disease of more, it also is counterbalanced a little bit in this day and age by how many guys are entrepreneurs, how many guys do want to be more than just a basketball player. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in a good way. Like I don't think Fred Van Vliet is distracted by bet on yourself to the point where it's impeding his career because he's still awesome. Right. But if he does want this to grow into something else, where are you going to have the greatest chance? Where are you going to get, you know, the peanut butter ads and the Google ads? Are you going to get them somewhere else? Like maybe Chicago. Yeah. But are you going to get them somewhere where you hit big shots and lock down Steph Curry and people are going to remember that with the same vigor? Are you going to be able to charge so much money that they can't even put the Raptors logo on the commercials yeah. because you're Fred Van Vliet and they have to pay such a high price tag? Like those things count. Like they're not they're not nothing things. And it really does slide into the Raptors scale, not only being able to maybe shave a little bit of points off of whatever it is uh, you have to pay for somebody in free agency, but that guys are going to look at winning culture, city teammates, organizational faith and structure, coaching, and as well as advertising dollars. And when you put that picture together, the the starting question starts to feel like, yeah, that's super petty. <laughs> I don't see it. The one thing I find interesting about the disease of more yeah. is I almost feel like there's a sliding scale depending on where you are and what the market is. Because when I look at the Raptors and their roster is full of proven guys who haven't got any respect and they finally got some last year, right? Mm -hmm. And so their baseline for what is more is so much lower than, say, you know, let's say the Lakers do something special, and Alex Caruso is like, hey, I was just doing this, and look at what I'm getting. Yeah, good luck. You know? Good luck, Alex Caruso. I wish you all the best. Now if I get to hear, you know, what's my expectation? So with Fred, you know, all of a sudden now he makes that run to the finals. He's defending Steph Curry. He's making big shots, gets a finals MVP vote. So I think for him to get that re recognition itself for him was huge. Mm -hmm. And now he's just sort of like, hey, let me just build off that, right? These are very humble guys that the Raptors have brought in. That's, that's been a big part of uh, how Masai Ujiri's wanted to structure this team. Mm -hmm. And so I think that plays a big part in sort of that disease of more where, frankly, we should have seen it maybe more on a team that was maybe getting more of a spotlight. But like, hey, we won our championship. Kawhi's gone. I was going to say, Kawhi being gone also factors into this huge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's time for ours. Yeah. Right? And they haven't really been... I think they recognize above all else, it's winning that will get them more. If I could choose one fly-on-the-wall conversation in all of Toronto sports right now, though, I would absolutely choose the conversation that happens between Masai Ujiri and... Like, we know that he and Kyle don't have the most transparency in the relationship. I don't know if that's changed since the championship. They seem like they're in a better place in terms of trust in one another. Definitely. And it like Kyle's not going anywhere. It seems pretty clear they want to have an amicable finish with him and that all the rumors of, you know, Kyle for um, Connolly that you and I were joking about before the show, uh, like those aren't going down anymore. We're not going to see this deadline full of, well, is Lowry going to Miami? Like we were at the very beginning of the season. Yeah. 
I mean, Jeff T got traded yesterday. Remember when Minnesota had the cap space and everyone was saying, hey, Minnesota's got to go after Lowry. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, we like Teague. How'd that work out for you? It's going to be interesting to see if Minnesota is <laughs> even just being in Minnesota. If putting two best friends together, like we got you guys together, if they're still like, yeah, <laughs> we want to get out of here though yeah. soon. Yeah, like we're thinking maybe a season and a half here before we bounce. Uh, up to you how we do this. Yeah, I think that's over, but I would love to know what type of transparency, if at all, that Masai Ujiri has with some of his players in terms of, you know, what a succession plan looks like in an offseason where Fred Van Vliet does look at it and say, I do love the structure here. I do love the money. I do love the city. But maybe he's like Kevin Durant where he says, I want to maximize myself as a basketball player. And maybe he isn't satisfied with being someone that's going back and forth in a lineup. Like it's a little bit of an easier conversation with Serge and Mark because they're at the end of their careers, right? They're comfortable. They're winning. They're in a great spot. They're going back and forth. Like speaking of guys who could not make it nearly as much money in other cities, like Serge Ibaka, is he the richest man in Toronto now? Like I feel like every single <laughs> ad, everywhere. Yeah, it's like what does Serge Ibaka not the face of now? He's basically the face of Sportsnet. We like paid him to host a dinner. We're like, please, Serge, please let us touch your brand. Everyone else, like Penny Alexiak and Bianca Andreescu, who I thought was like now one of the biggest celebrities in all of Canada. She's like at the side of the table. Serge is the head of the table. He's like, I'm cutting the turkey. So. I think it's easier for those two guys. And I'm not as concerned with those two. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is just where we'll end this one before we take a quick break. But the center conversation to me right now is you definitely start Mark in most of the games. Yeah. And that as good as Serge Ibaka is playing, if you extrapolate the numbers over like per 36 as a bench guy, they're still really good. And yeah. like there's not really a drop off with his play. Mark's value to your half court offense is that like touch point is too invaluable for me to just be putting Serge there, even though Serge has been like rightfully, if he was someone who said, I want to go start somewhere else, he'd be well within, there's not eight centers in the NBA better than Serge Ibaka. Raptors have two of the best 10 guys in the NBA. But just from a fit standpoint, I still believe he's more second unit than starter with this group on most nights. Absolutely. And I think you make a good point with the offense and the way he's able to facilitate for Mark. But I look at the defense too, and you look at, you know, Nick Nurse wanting to change from man to a, you know, a two, three zone to a box in one to a triangle and two, whatever it may be. Mark is a huge part of that because you need a center that's flexible and able to execute all those defensive schemes. And the one weakness I will say with Serge is when you have, say, for example, think about that Christmas game when Toronto played Boston and they were like, hey, we're going to go under the screens and Serge is going to play deep and Kemba's just pulling up every single time and mark you know you can call him slow or whatever it is when he gets up high on those pick and roll actions like he's really smart at using his hands and disrupting the ball handler and those so those little things that mark can do have such a huge impact defensively for that starting unit against starting caliber uh guys that I think it's just a little easier for Serge when he comes off the bench and we we saw it work to perfection last season it's so weird the season Marcus has had because it started off with the like real tail off in offensive play, like a, within 15 feet of the basket. Yeah. And people really focused in on that. Yeah. And they said he's got no more lift. The fadeaway that he likes to do off the block is gone. Yeah. He really doesn't seem like he's more than just a spot up shooter on offense. And then the season went on a little bit and people started to watch the passes that he can still make, the screens that he can still set, how valuable that shooting still is. 
while a lot of people get frustrated because he won't pull the trigger enough, having him be gone, I think has really, really shown people that while the defense can maintain itself without him because of how many pieces they have around, like you put in all of a sudden Ronnie Hollis Jefferson playing minutes, you know, and Patrick McCaw's playing more minutes and Serge Ibaka is still a plus-plus defensive player that that's this team's identity. They're always going to be able to do this regardless of the personnel. But just there's been this weird pivot of Marcus All appreciation yeah. that I think this fan base has just in general gotten a lot smarter watching basketball, having more games and watching playoff games and deeper runs and the style that they use now. But just that Marcus All cannot be undersold. Surge, again, been great. All the power to him. 18 and 10, walking double double with him out of the lineup. Mark's just too important. So, we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else, and it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox, sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe, and we got you. So, Shay, you write about him. You write about him for Complex, and it's a really, really well-done piece. Like, I don't even want to step on it so much because I want people to go read it. Again, you go to Vivek's Twitter and it's M. Jacob after his first name. You can find it there. It's your pinned tweet still as of right now. Yes, sir. So I asked Michael Grange this question on the show the other day, and I'm going to ask it to you. Is there a more important player to Canada basketball over the next five years than Shea Gilgis-Alexander? No. Agree. I think he's already the best Canadian in the NBA. And it was interesting. I was reading Zach Lowe's 10 Things today, and he was saying he talked to non OKC executives about Shea mm-hmm. and the questions, the conversations weren't even surrounding when can he be when can he be an all-star? It's when can he be an all NBA player? So that's the expectation of executives around the league seeing what he's able to do. And I think when he improves his playmaking, because he let's face it, last year with the Clippers, he was playing the point a lot. Now with Chris Paul in the picture with the Thunder, he's able to slide down a position where I think he's more comfortable. He's able to focus on scoring a bit more. As he improves that playmaking, as he improves his defense, and he's got all the tools to do it physically, I think that's where you're going to see a high-level player on both ends, uh, which is what the league wants now, that can defend multiple positions, uh, that can break down anyone from the perimeter, gets to the rim at will, uh, and finishes so easily as well. So... I definitely see the all NBA level talent there. It's just a question of continuing to put in the work to get there. So this is why I'm so high on him though. He's got all these things you can't teach, but by all accounts, all he wants to do is learn. Mm-hmm. He's got this incredible wingspan on a six, six frame. He's built exactly like if you were doing create a player and you wanted to build a two that could also play some of the one you'd build Shea Gilgis Alexander's body. Yep. Like, He's got an old school soul, the way that way, how he gets to his spots, the incredibly deceptive speed. Again, I said, I don't want to step on your piece, but I need to pull that Nick Nurse thing. But he's like, yeah, man, this guy might have one of the best first steps in all of basketball. But when you watch him, it's not like he's like his teammate, Dennis Schroeder, who when he was in his prime was just like, oh, he's so fast. He's fast. Yeah. He does it with this like 
herky-jerky, I'm going to lull you in and I'm going to blow by you. I'm going to get to the middle of the floor. I'm going to shoot this little floater. I'm going to bury you with that all game long. And now you're going to start to sag off me. And guess what? I've also been adding a three-point shot to my game. I got a little bit of a step back that I've been working on. I can drop this at around 36 37%. Maybe this even gets a little bit better. The ceiling that he has... And the work that he's already put in in such a like early career, you look at him in Kentucky, mm-hmm. what he could do versus what he can do now after being a guy who was in a weird role in, with the Los Angeles Clippers and then traded to a team where he's one of three guards that he's playing with Chris Paul. And that lineup has done great. Yes. With, with Schroeder, Paul, and him. But that, you can't overlook the leaps and bounds this guy's made. Yeah. I said, if you redo that draft, that 2018 draft today, I'm taking him over Trey Young. It goes Luka Doncic one, and it goes Shea Gilgis Alexander two. And to me, there's like I don't even know what the debate is. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. Trey, I mean, offensively, he's spectacular, right? Like he's a league pass watch mm-hmm. unto himself. But defensively, I think that's where the big question marks come in, right? When you have such a low level of defensive intensity, I mean, it's pretty much so much of the league now is pick and roll, and every time there's a pick set against him, it's like an automatic bucket. And so I think that's the big thing that probably separates uh, Shea from him. And I look at Shea now at such a young age. He's like Dwayne Wade in the second half of his career where Wade had to recognize that, hey, the athleticism is not quite there. I got to find more creative ways to get to the basket. I've got all these veteran moves now that I can go to and lull people to sleep. He's got that, but he's still got the young legs. Mm -hmm. And I think that combination is scary at his age. And you take what's going to come with this jump shot. If he continues to develop sort of the quickness of that release. And we've already seen it with with the step back, right? That length that he can use and just stop on a dime. You were talking about it with Nick Nurse saying it. I think that's pretty much unguardable. We talk talk about moves that you can go to in the postseason, in crunch time, Mm -hmm. uh, where you need to get a bucket for your team. And those are the type of moves that Shea has in his bag. I also love players who, I, I told you this is why we didn't start the show with the Shea Gildas stuff, because it's just a Shea Gildas love fest. But I love players who, they're just so hard to guard because they make you decide. Like mm-hmm. if you put a bigger guy on him, he's too fast. Yep. And if you put a smaller guy on him, he's too big. Like there's just never really, you watch night in, night out if you follow his games, where you really feel like there's the right defender on him. Right. Like even in the game against the Raptors, the first time around, like he's dropping 32 points and you're thinking, this is a team that, as I said off the top of the show, is built solely around the idea of they have this defensive identity and they've got all these guys that are perimeter defenders who are basically built to guard you. Yeah. Like that's what they're supposed to be able to do better than anybody else. And he was making it look easy. And it was, he shredded them. Yeah. He got to all of his spots and he got to them with ease. And one of my big markers for always watching basketball games in terms of like a close game when the score is tight is like, whose offense looks easiest? Like who's getting to their spots? And if they're missing, who cares? That's who's going to win the game. And he's just one of those guys when you watch night in, night out, he can get to his spots and his offense always looks easy. It's just never uncomfortable. It doesn't look forced. I, like, I'm a huge fan of OG Ananobi, for example. But the reason the offense isn't there is that whenever he's playing it, it always looks like he has to do something. Yep. Like not that he's wanting to really do it, right? It's like he's still using his power and his athleticism to get to his spots, but ultimately he's still relying on others to be able to make an open shot. And I know these are like widely divergent players, but it's just to make the point of how great Shea is at such a young age that yep. someone who is like OG's peer is already this advanced when it comes to bucket getting. And like with the Team Canada stuff, 
we were talking about it before the show, but it seems like he and Murray are just this perfect fit. Yeah. Like the way that they would complement one another, the way that Shea would be able to maybe mask some of Jamal's defensive inefficiencies, the fact that the playmaking is improved, the value of being with Chris Paul, as opposed to like, you want to thank for blessings. Thank Canada basketball's future that Russell Westbrook was traded for Chris Paul. Yeah. Like if we ever do one of those like trade trees of how someone's career goes down a certain way, Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul around Shea Gildas Alexander and the atmosphere of, hey, there's no expectations of this group. We're just going to hope it evolves organically and let you be in the space where you don't have to get the Oladipo treatment of go stand in the corner and hope Russ maybe throws you a ball if he's searching for 10 assists. Yeah. How impactful that's been for Shea. No, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I learned while putting together this story was that one of the first things Chris Paul did when he came or even before he knew he was getting to OKC was text Shea and say, hey, I'm a big believer in your game. And I know you're, you're coming here because yeah, I know and, things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know Daryl Moore is a liar. <laughs> and then when he goes over to OKC, he sets up this private workout where a bunch of the Thunder guys come through. And that's where they really got to know each other and they bonded. And you see that on the court. Even when Chris Paul came to Toronto, he's doing the scrum after. And, you know, Shea's joking about him being a softie. Let's face it. Chris Paul's no softie. You, you know, you can guarantee uh, that there's a lot of tough love to see him get to the level where everyone expects him to get to. And I think that chemistry that he'll have, like right after the scrum was over, Chris Paul went over to meet his family for the first time. There's a genuine connection there where they care about each other. And you think about all the little tricks that Chris Paul has in his bag. And, you know, whether it's even knowing, you know, the finer nuances of the NBA rules, <laughs> getting players call for text, you know, you can only imagine the things that Shea is picking up from him. Dude, like if it was outside of the ancillary stuff that has come with Chris Paul's career, which is by all accounts, it seems like he's someone who has such an eye for the game that he just wears you down. And like everyone has worked with a person like this, right? Where... They're smart, but eventually over time, they never pick their battles and they always want to fight over every little detail. And it's what's made Chris Paul so great. Like there's a reason that a guy who's not even six feet tall is, you know, arguably the defining point guard of his generation. Mm -hmm. It's because he has that ability and he applies it to himself. But when it's others, it's just like, it's tough to be able to identify that not everyone's like you. And that say like a physically gifted specimen like Blake Griffin who hasn't had to get to the NBA the same way and who likes outside interest, who's like loves comedy and who can fly above the rim that he wouldn't view basketball the same way as Chris Paul. He wouldn't have the same urgency as Chris Paul. And that eventually those partnerships have, you know, ended in turmoil because of that constant back and forth, that constant back and forth. And from reading your piece, that was one thing that I, I really thought about was maybe Chris Paul is having a little bit of Vince Carter where it's a little reflection later in the career, understanding that he's not the same guy, also kind of understanding that he probably doesn't want to just finish his career in OKC and that part of the path to moving forward is acclimating to, to young players, having those endorsements, but also that for Shea, it's hard to imagine a more perfect Chris Paul situation because while they're trying to win, Chris Paul needs to be a better teammate in order to get himself out of OKC. He needs to be a better teammate because he genuinely seems to like this kid. He's probably had some self-reflection as to how he got here, like, how he ended up breaking up his partnership with James Harden. Again, another guy who's just so physically gifted that it's so difficult to compare him to Chris Paul. Yeah. That 
he's not going to be around Chris Paul for three seasons or four seasons Mm -hmm. where there's going to be this like drawn out portion of the relationship that really Shay might leave it with all the best pieces of Chris Paul and none of the damage. Yeah. And I think you've hit on a key point about that relationship with Chris Paul and James Harden Mm -hmm. because there is that sense of damage control that Chris Paul needs to do, right? You look at the way the relationship ended with Chris Paul and Blake. You look at the way the relationship ended with Chris Paul and James Harden. Now he's got this young kid who, let's face it, if you don't foster a good relationship with him, who's really going to want you? And your legacy. And the word around the league is that Shea is just the nicest kid, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a bad influence on him, that's really not going to shine a bright light on you. I got to tell you that part of that is... Or it will for the wrong reasons. I'm sure Shay is a great person. I'm sure he's a great kid. I always feel like this is the Canadian thing, though, where if you're just a little bit nice, people are like, yeah. you're so nice. Yeah, yeah, you're the yeah. nicest person. <laughs> He's like, yeah, like, I'm all right. Yeah. But is he that much nicer than some of the other kids in the league? Like, is he that much nicer than, let's say, Zion? Yeah. We're never going to be talking about, like, how nice Zion is because he's American. But with, with Shay, it's going to be, you're so nice. Everybody yep. says you're so nice. Uh, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for what Team Canada looks like. This summer is just going to be weirdly this has never happened before with me where this season's so fun. There's been so many teams. There's this Warriors vacuum where everyone feels relevant. You got night in, night out league pass where every team feels like a little bit more important, a little bit more fun. And yet I just, I can't wait for that tournament in the summer. I can't wait to see Shea in a Team Canada uniform where it's like, he's the guy you get to cheer for. And he's with Jamal Murray. And this is the guys you get to cheer for. And all of a sudden it's this like loaded up group just stomping out Shane Larkin and his Turkish roots. <laughs> like, it's going to be awesome, man. I'm really excited for it. And it's going to be such a stark contrast to the Basketball World Cup last year. Of course. Where I remember I was waking up at whatever it was, 3, 4 in the morning to watch these games. And it's like, no one's really watching. I just read your tweets and Blake's tweets afterwards. I was like, yeah, all right, I get it. They <laughs> lost, cool. <laughs> but now it's, it's going to be must-watch TV, right? whatever they're on. And yeah, that backcourt of Shea and Jamal, I mean, that's the thing I'm most excited to see for sure. It's going to be really, really awesome. And I think it's very fitting that, and this is not, RJ Barrett's in his rookie season, right? Yeah. Like I still have extremely high hopes for him as a player. I think there's still very much on the table that he could be Team Canada's guy. Mm -hmm. Like you look at what he's accomplishing in a horrible situation with the Knicks, with teammates who are selfishly looking like the Knicks are just so abhorrent to watch because like they're like, what you would think a bad G League team is like, where guys are trying to play themselves out of it with stats. Yep. And RJ still is finding a way to just be this like real positive force on that team. And mm-hmm. th- again, it's when we're talking about Shea in a positive light, it's not taking away from anyone. But I do think that it's fitting that with all the hype that came with Andrew Wiggins and being the first overall pick, that all the hype that even came with Jamal Murray playing at Kentucky and you know being this sharpshooter that was going to change Canada basketball and what he did for the, the team at the Pan Am Games... And all the hype that's come with RJ Barrett over the last year of just watching him grow from the U19s through, you know, the one of the biggest college basketball teams I've ever seen in my lifetime, that the guy that could define Canada basketball is going to be the dude that, what, he fell to 12 or 13? Yeah. That fell to 12 or 13, where the discussions at the draft were like, well, what position is he? And can he ever shoot? And what? Like, we'll see what it is. And then quietly is, yeah, he'll be the defining player of the team. I mean, hey, a certain uh, two-time MVP was a 13th pick, wasn't he? That's correct. But the next five years, you can have Paul George or Shea Gildas-Alexander. Not even the picks, 
not even the Danilo throw-in, what do you do? You do that trade if you're the Clippers because it gets you Kawhi, like I know, and you get two years of Kawhi and Paul George, and that's them in a prime, but five years of just in a vacuum, you get to pick one of those two guys. Paul George is 30 years old. Mm -hmm. He's viciously broken his leg in the past. Yep. He's he's, he's had the shoulder operation. Shoulder operated. Yeah, I'm taking Shea. We're homers. I, I never would have accepted any other answer. We would have cut it if you said otherwise. But yeah. we're, well, we're talking about the next five years, right? And so you look at what Shea is going to be able to do. You look at the level he's at right now. Mm-hmm. And even if that plays out over the next five years, you know, well, Paul George at this level, he's probably got another couple left. I don't know if, what he becomes after that. You know, I think at the end of the day, if he wants to be a spot up guy that can defend multiple positions, he can certainly transition into that. But does he want to be that type of guy? We, we've seen it before, right? Where superstars just haven't been able to sort of manage their ego and accept a, a lesser role. So with Shea, with everything that he brings to the table, uh, yeah, for five years, I take him. There's got to be just so much credit lauded to Oklahoma City for st- standing firm and making sure they got him in that trade. Yeah. Because had you done it where it was, let's say it's Danilo, and it's the five first round picks for Paul George. I think a lot of people still would have looked at that as, well, you got to do it. Yeah. All right. And as much as they would never admit it, I think that losing Paul George as a get out of jail free for being this like team that was going to be six in the West and getting off of Russell Westbrook, yeah. like automatically having the excuse to be like, here's a way of parting with this player that our fans love and who's meant an incredible amount to this franchise, no doubt about it. But I don't know how honest people can look at Russ and say that like he's a winning player that you want to be like fostering a culture of young players like you're bringing in these five first round picks and you're gonna have Russ around them to develop like I I don't I don't see it but that it was just a weight for their pro- like organization before but standing firm on Shea and making sure that they got him as opposed to like a Landry Shamit is just like it almost makes up for trading James Harden. <laughs> like, and I all, mean, it almost counteracts that trade, how good it is. OKC had Westbrook and George and couldn't get out of the first round. Mm-mm. You look at, if they go into a series, if they're able to stay away from the Clippers or the Lakers in the first round, I'd say they have a shot. I mean, why, why can't things go right for them against a Denver? Why can't things go right for them against a Houston? I was just going to say, that's the matchup I'm dying for. Please give me Oklahoma City versus Houston in the yeah. first round. Like, I don't know how you have to rig it or what you have to do to make it work, but like that makes the first round in the NBA more relevant than it's ever been. Oh my God. Is having that series. Yeah. Like, imagine the hype of watching Chris Paul game one drop 30 and 10 yeah. and winning that game and the conversations that we get to have. Like, it'd be incredible. Oh, <laughs> like, bring again, it on, bring it on. Daryl Morey, who made that initial trade, uh, would be looked at and they'd be like, well, you know, you did trade for Harden, you did pill for them, but then they poison pilled you with the other guy later down the line and you kind of killed the end of his uh, prime prime. So yeah. I like, I just, I think it's super, super fascinating. I really hope it happens. I hope the Clippers make it, or sorry, I hope the Thunder make it. I hope that there's no Danilo Gallinari trade. They've already got... That's the other luxury of getting those five first round picks. I know we're going so long in this now, but it also affords you like, you don't need to trade Danilo Gallinari. You already have five plus your own picks. How many is just too many? You're going to have so like, you're going to have so much draft capital that at some point you're going to have to move off of those pieces for somebody anyways. Why not someone who can get you an easy 20 and fits with the spacing of what your guards can do and gives you a little bit of size. Same thing goes with Adams. Like what's the urgency to trade Adams? He gives you what you need right now. Your team is solid. He's obviously a good foundation player that 
is great to have around young teammates that provides you with like some toughness with your group has some defensive identity. I, I just, I like the way the Thunder are built. Yeah. As a former Sonics fan, I hate it because it was like, finally, they got cursed with this. This is the Sonics curse. And they walk into Shea Gilgis. <laughs> like, <laughs> they go from KD, my all-time favorite, to uh, Shea Gilgis. is just like, this is the life I lead. I'm cursed. Um, before we go, let's talk Norm Powell. Yes. We touched on it a little bit off the top, but I'll start with a PSA. No more trading Norm Powell, Okay. No more mock draft trades with Norm Powell in them <laughs> for J.J. Redick, okay? What possible reason could you have watching Norm Powell right now? Just go watch a game with J.J. I love J.J. Redick. Like, as a player, he's terrific. He's a knockdown shooter. There's no one that you're more terrified of coming around a screen wide open with that, like, little sliver of a look, leaning any which way, just dropping it on you. Norm Powell is doing a lot of those things, but bigger and playing defense and well-liked by all, I just, on a, now a good contract, that contract that we looked at a year ago and said, ooh, Masai might have blown this one, is all of a sudden, you want to move Norm Powell, you would expect actually more than J.J. Redick. Like, right. honestly, that's how I feel about it. So no more trading Norm Powell. I think he's genuinely solidified himself as a piece of this core moving forward. And yeah, he's changed my opinion about him. Like, that's what I was going to ask you. Is like, has Norm definitively changed the way that you view him as a player from just this season so far? I think the biggest thing that's changed for me is when I looked at his struggles before, when he couldn't crack into the starting lineup going up against Amari Carroll, which was no fault of his own. He was playing well. Every time Carroll was injured and he started, he was great. Mm -hmm. And then every time he'd go to the bench, he'd kind of disappear. And then the season after Carroll goes, he gets the starting job. 10, 12 games in, he's injured. OG steps into the starting lineup. And now all of a sudden, Norm's gone out of the picture, right? But what's changed now, this season, starting, coming off the bench, it has not impacted him whatsoever. The production is there every time. And so when you're looking at trade value, when you're looking at what he's bringing to this team, it's you're not looking at it and saying, oh, you know, he's got to be in this role for him to impact us in this way. It's, hey, he is a part of this team. Whatever role we've assigned him, he is balling out. And so we need that as a part of our future in, in terms of the postseason run. Well, and also you just need pieces that are malleable and pieces that can fit, right? And, and he's a box killer. Right. He is a box killer. <laughs> I've, I've made this joke before, but in Milwaukee, whenever they see Norm Powell, they're like, oh my God, they lost Kawhi, but they still have Norm Powell. So it's fine. <laughs> like they're, Norm Powell's coming to town. He's terrorizing. He's like what we used to think... Uh, uh, Channing Fry one year with Cleveland where it was just like Channing Fry couldn't miss a single yeah. shot. Like there's just different guys that get built up in your town as absolute killers. Like Goran Dragic for a while was always that with the Raptors where I'm like, ugh, Goran Dragic, you look at his box score one night, it's like 15 and four. And then he plays the Raptors and it's 30 and 12. Yep. Uh, Norm is just that dude against the Bucks. I absolutely love it. But yeah, I just, I find him to be this malleable piece. Like you said, who can start, who can, who can come off the bench who I think is genuinely really well-liked by his teammates, who fits the complexion of what this team is from a cultural standpoint, who fits it from an identity of we do everything here, that everyone improves, Norm Powell has continued to get better, that we are the place in Toronto that brings in second-round picks and identifies them and builds them up the same way. What's so important in all the Norm Powells and the Fred Van Vliet's as well is like how impactful it is if you are a guy like Terrence Davis and you are trying to learn the ropes and you are going through it a little bit and you get sent down to the G League and you know, you've got to put in a stint there that you get to talk to Norm Powell, who was a second round pick and who did it a certain way and built himself up. 
You get to talk to a Fred Van Fleet. You yep. get to talk to a Pascal Siakam. Like, there's just so many guys that are around you that are, by all accounts, good dudes mm-hmm. that are not the Chris Paul teammates that are like genuinely the opposite of that, who have come up and have never really forgotten who they are or where they come from. And being able to sell yourself as that, like, it's just, it, to me, it's such an inefficiency that the Raptors are able to exploit. And it, the longer they can maintain that identity, like everything does come to an end, right? We're seeing it with the Spurs right now. But the longer that you can string this thing out, like this look of we the North, we the different, we the overlooked, we the the silent, the patient, the winners, yeah. the better you are. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that comes with the Raptors when you're drafted in the second round or late first round, whatever it may be, when you come to this organization, there's no ceiling placed on you and you're allowed to explore your game. You look at Siakam when he comes in, he struggles as the starter, which he was forced into because of a Jared Zollinger injury. They didn't just say, hey, you're going to be sitting at the end of the bench and just sort of in a vegetative state and just taking it all in. Go down to the G League, get better, put your time with, with the 905, and he works on his game, goes and wins uh, the G League trophy, wins the, that finals MVP. And again, Fred had the same experience. And you look at Norman Powell and the time he put in the G League, they're making sure these guys get minutes, that they're actually pu- investing the time to get better as players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even this season when Matt Thomas came over, I remember a practice where Nick Nurse was talking about, hey, we've seen what you, you can do in Spain. But to make it at this level, we have compiled these players for you to watch. We think that this is a way in which you can improve, that you can find your sort of niche in the NBA. And we're going to put you in positions that these guys that you're going to watch uh, to be in and be successful. And so that's how Matt Thomas has been working on getting open looks because guess what? He's going to be chased around all the time. So it's like, how do you separate yourself? And they continue to invest the time, no matter who it is, to say, how can you be the best player that you can be? If only Bruno had been drafted now. <laughs> oh, what a career he would have had. Vivek Jacob, thanks for coming in, man. This was awesome. Thanks Honestly, so much. We've got to do it again very, very soon. For sure. Uh, again, go read his piece. It's up on Complex, and we'll catch you next week whenever Donovan decides to grace us with his presence. Uh, it's free association on sportsset.ca. Always leave a five-star review. Follow both of us on Twitter. Do all those kind of things. Share it. Instagram, Twitter, wherever you get it. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Thanks for listening.